Exodus chapter 30 and verse 22. And I'm going to read a little bit. It, it is an interesting portion of scripture. And it's, it is a worthy of your highlighter. Moreover, the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, that's what the Lord said. And of course, Moses is going to deliver this to the people. Take thou also unto the principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of Acacia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. So that would mean in exact proportions because the shekel of the sanctuary was the standard by which all other shekels need to be measured. Because in those days, people might shave down their coins and then take the shavings and collect them and make a new shekel, thus um, deceiving the seller so the temple shekel was the standard and so God was careful to say after the shekel of the sanctuary and then of olive oil and hen so these are measurements and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary it shall be an holy anointing oil And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation with it. You will anoint the ark of the testimony with it. You'll anoint the tables, all the vessels, the candlestick, his vessels, the altar of incense. You're going to anoint the altar of burnt offering. All the things that apply to the burnt offering. And the laver, the pedestals. (laughs) Everything. Here's verse 29. And thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint, now we're getting to the people, Aaron and his sons. These were the priests. And you're going to consecrate them. You're going to anoint them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the, after you get done with all that anointing, Thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Year after year after year, you keep on anointing everyone and everything. Upon man's flesh, you don't just use it. You don't pour it out like it's something trivial. Neither shall ye make anything like it after the composition of it. Don't mimic it. It is holy and it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth anything like it or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. Amen. And I preach today sacred. Amen. I thank you, Lord, for your word. For the precious people that have come in this building and those that are watching from their homes. I pray you bless 
everyone and help us to hear the word in Jesus name now before you're seated I have a smartphone it it I really should say it's smarter than me phone who has a smarter than me phone okay and yesterday a notification came up and I don't ever push this notification but I pushed the notification and had a pictorial display of this day through the years pictures and I happened to push it and it started to play background music with all the family pictures do you, can, can, do you have that? it does that on your phone and it was amazing it was like this and it was because I'm already so melancholy anyway I'm, I'm, I've got the mixture of all kinds of things but the melancholy in me just burst forth and you know it was, the music was melodic and there they are the babies and the kids and they're growing up and I can remember all the little places where we were through the pictures you know and you get done with that you walk through the house and the kids saying who died dad what's wrong no I just remember when you were precious <laughs> and there they are little Romy hi Roman sorry you're a man but you weren't always a man you were a boy Romy Domi we call him Romy Domi and Reggie Leggy and Reagan he's in the sound booth today and in our garage I have little, had a little workbench and they wanted to hammer a nail and they both got hammers and Reagan's hammer was about this big it, it, and Reagan had my Roman had my hammer and they were hitting the nail and hitting the nail and I put the nails and they just hit him and hit they got him all the way down into the wood these little nails and I said you're doing good guys just pounding those nails and they pounded those nails until finally they got him all the way down but they didn't stop hitting them they just kept hitting them and they hit the top of those nails until they beat that wood and there was forever indentions in the top of that where they had beat and imprinted in the wood the tops of their hammers the heads of their hammers they just beat it and beat it and got it in there and you knew it was in there and when you came back years later you knew someone emphatically put that nail in that wood and they didn't stop hitting it even when it was in they just kept on hitting it praise God you may be seated It was the mid-1990s when David Wilkerson exposed the corporate and, yes, carnal integration that was coming into the Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Wilkerson was the founding pastor of Times Square Church in New York City. He was also the founder of a drug rehabilitation program called Teen Challenge. More notably, possibly, you would remember him as the author of The Cross and The Switchblade. But to me, it was his direct approach that set him apart. His approach unnerved many of the televangelists of his day. They didn't want any part of him. I'm a little mesmerized 
personally by a sermon he preached entitled, A Call to Anguish. It was unique. It should not have been unusual, but because so many pulpits have drifted. Oh, the drifting. The distance is so great from the cause of Christ to the pleasures of life. Sermons like his pull me back to Mordecai's cry on behalf of the people. They pull me back to the burden of the prophet Amos and to Jeremiah's agonizing lifelong plight. Preaching. For after that, in the wisdom of God, Paul wrote, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Direct preaching, preaching that seeks to save the people and not the tither, is almost extinct. Should I say that again? Preaching that seeks to save the soul and not the tither is almost extinct. One of my childhood preachers, we used to listen to sermons on cassette tape. And that's not like scotch tape. I won't explain it. Cassette tape. His name was Steve Muncy. He used to be a holiness apostolic preacher. I'll never forget the sermon on cassette tape called Coke in the Sanctuary. Put the fear of God in my bones. The Bible speaks of a last day revival, but it also speaks of a great falling away. Our age of prosperity doctrines and opinion-driven standards are really nothing more than worldly endeavors that corrupt the body of Jesus Christ. Stay with me now. Paul wrote about it. It was the umbrella under which all prophetic moments will eventually collide. He said, Jesus Christ loved the church so much he died for it so that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might Present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, the church. The last moment will be the marriage of the church to the Lord, a holy church, a set-apart people to the righteous and holy God, sacred. Notice with me the 120 years of the life of Moses. Forty years he lived in the comfort of Egypt. A golden cup was in his hand. And then there were 40 years of living in the wilderness of Midian. He ran from Egypt, found a wife there, worked in the family business. Finally, the last 40 years he spent leading the children of Israel, hoping to get them into the promised land. God called Moses to lead the people when Moses was 80 years old. He was attending the sheep and livestock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Midian was a safe haven for this former adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He has changed from that time to this. Physical labor of the field has now strengthened his hands. He's far from the pleasures of Pharaoh's palace. 
It's been decades since Moses left those hallways. He once lived under the banner of royalty, but now he's a man of the field. He's a man of substance and of work. The wilderness has suited him well. What the comforts of Egypt could not teach him, the dry and arid land did its bidding. Midian was as dry as any land in its region. The desert's immense heat is a wonder of its own. The fluctuation of temperatures, rise and fall, creates its own challenge. The night and the day both declare their independence. But it's the midday sun that causes the most trouble there. The unrelenting sun bakes the ground and boils the shallow waters until they disappear. Tender plants rarely survive as they wither away. Only the toughest of exteriors can survive and make it through such waves of heat. If a plant does not submit to the temperature, if its roots fail to find their footing, the life of the plant is quick to disappear. Horticulturists say that in most cases, when the root breaks under the ground, it leaves the plant to cast about on the surface. Roots not only feed the things that can be seen, but they give the necessary stability to the whole. And if they can hold on or hold out through the dry season, they will blossom again when the new rain falls. Without roots, however, all things, and may I say, all people die. All are cast about the tumbleweed. All are tossed, cascading along in some aimless fashion. Those weather-weary plants often see the final effect of the sun's powerful rays. The intense heat can rise to such unbearable proportions upon the dried-up, rootless plant that it bursts into flames and flashes out like a short-lived sparkler. It is the desert's magician's paper. It's an instant poof of fire and then nothing, almost as if it never existed at all. The shepherd of these wilderness regions understands it full well. They have walked past many such sun-stricken plants, some of them tumbling in flames for brief moments of time. The dry place is a place of death. It occupies uncertainty and then finality. Even Jesus referred to the dry place in his teaching when he said, When the unclean spirit has gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest. When you become dry, you open up the door of your life for a spirit not of your choosing. Moses has seen those momentary flashes of fire before. All desert shepherds were familiar with these instant fires. Moses has been working in that place for many years. The desert has become his habitat. But along the way, Moses encounters a bush, some plant that's on fire. Only this one's different. The fire is not what catches his eye. No, it was the continual fire that gave him pause to wonder. The Bible says Moses talked to himself. He said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. He turned toward it to see how a bush could burn so long without being consumed. And when he approached it in whatever casual or uncaring way it may have been, the voice of the Ancient of Days echoed, spoke to him. God said, Moses, take off your shoes. Don't come any closer for the place where you are standing is holy ground. A moment ago it was sand and dust. A day ago, it was just another dried up bush with no hope of renewal. 
animals could traverse there. The sheep might trample it over. It was a nondescript place with no inherent value. But when God arrived, when the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, the creator, invested himself in it and occupied it, the bush stayed and the ground became sacred. God called it holy ground. Consider it with me. When his presence entered that place, it demanded a careful and considerate approach by anyone who might venture toward it. There was no room for normalcy or flagrancy. Shoes had to come off. The common assumptions of the mind had to be cast aside. The pretense of humanity of humanity had to submit to the Lord because God said, Don't even come close for the place where you're standing is holy ground. His presence redefines the place. His presence determines the location. His presence recasts the definitions of both the premises and the people. When he enters a church building or a barn or a parking lot or a field or your home, it could be a tent or a basement. His presence redefines the physical nature as well as the atmosphere and the people in it. All of it. Take off your shoes, Moses. This is not a commonplace. Why? Because the Lord is here. It became a sacred location the moment that the Lord of glory occupied that space. And it was then and there that Moses learned a lesson about the fear of the Lord, about honor and reverence, and about being set apart. He had been taught about the people of God from his mother. He knew the history of the Hebrew people and that of his own identity, but he did not know the Lord. But on the day, that day, that God invested himself in a burning bush, Moses learned about the Lord and about the fear of the Lord all at the same time. And it carried him past the learned men of his day. It lifted him above those with philosophical points of view and humanistic rational minds. Moses found out that this God is a holy God. Moses found out in his first moments of introduction that God defines the location. Wherever and whoever he occupies becomes sacred. Mm. Now reading through the Bible, just a couple chapters later, we are not far from the crossing of the Red Sea. That burning bush is not far from Israel's great escape from Egypt or from Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the original commandments inscribed with God's own hand And I'm aware of it all. And I stand here in awe to consider that holy ground was God's introduction to this world-famous, generationally enduring, precedent-setting leader, Moses. Holy ground. Moses, the great organizing pastor, the lawgiver, intercessor of all time. Nobody was like him. He was introduced to God, the God of heaven and the God of earth. On holy ground. And the very first lesson that Moses learned was the lesson of sacredness and holy separation invoked by the presence with a capital P. So when we read our text and consider this oil of anointing, we must see it as more than some human design. It was holy oil used exclusively to anoint the dedicated things and the dedicated people who served in the tabernacle. It began, not that day, but it began in form in the wilderness when Moses learned the lesson of sacred sand. Holiness, a place ordained by his presence to be set apart. 
So Moses commanded for this oil to be made according to the words of the Lord. And upon conclusion of all the articles and clothes and the things made, the training of all who would serve in the tabernacle, they anointed everyone and everything, all the tops of the tables, all the feet of the tables, all the idols, all the items in the tabernacle, all the pots, the golden utensils, the candlestick, all of the ark, all the things, the ark of the covenant, all of it. They were anointed with this oil. They were sacred unto the Lord, set apart for the Lord's use. Even the priests, Aaron's sons, all of them were anointed with this oil. This anointing oil made by the steady hand of the apothecary. Its measurements were clear. God described them. Its ingredients were not a mystery. They were written down for everyone to see. But God said, don't wear that perfume. Don't wear it as a perfume on your body. Don't pour it on yourself. Don't be flagrant with it. Don't use it for the normal things of life. God said that anyone who uses this fragrance will be cut off from the congregation. The fastest way to remove yourself from the congregation of the people was to use that anointing oil for personal use. Don't make anything like it or anything after its composition. For it is a holy oil and it shall be holy unto you. Yeah. <laughs> I know you already got it. I'm just pounding the nail. By the time I get done today, I want to, I don't want to just get the nail in the wood. I want to leave an imprint in that, in that puppy. You already know where I'm at. You knew where I was at when I, when I read the text. I'm... <laughs> About five minutes ago, you said, I got it, Pastor. I got it. I know, but I'm going I'm to keep hitting that top of that nail. So when the priest walked by, you weren't looking at him. You might not even see him. One of those many priests walked by you, walked by your tent, your place of dwelling. There was something unique about that fragrance. It told you someone set apart just walked by me. I could smell that fragrance. And when the cloud moved and they were in transport, transport, moving all the tabernacle and all the, all the articles, when they moved it from one location to another, they could smell the aroma of the holy anointing oil on the utensils and on the items that belonged in the holy place and in the holy of holies. That fragrance was like none other. You could smell it in the day and in the night. You knew it was one of the sacred dedicated pieces by the fragrance that it carried. For there was no composition like it. None after its kind. Those things anointed as sacred set them apart even though they were made out of wood. Even though they were made out of leather. Even though they were made out of items. The anointing oil made them holy. Even though they were made out of gold. Beaten or overlaid. The anointing oil made them unique. It was not their shape ladies and gentlemen. It was not their size that set them apart. It was not the material that they were made with. That gave them such reverence. It was the blend of spices. And the olive oil. Woven by the hand of the apothecary. That made them holy and consecrated. And blessed unto the Lord sacred Moses was familiar with the God of heaven and earth but reverence became the first lesson of his life and that's how he commenced his leadership he began with the understanding that God is holy and his presence changes the value of the place and the person when God anoints them sacred 
Sacred was the intent of the Lord regarding those who trafficked in the tabernacle. Sacred, holy was the intent of the Lord for the people who served there. Sacred was the intent of the Lord for every piece of furniture, for every pot, spoon, ladle, knife, every table. That was the intent of the Lord. Sacred, holy. God told them what to make, but at the end of it all, he said, put these special spices together with olive oil and combine them for a unique scent. Here's the word. Make these into a sacred anointing oil a flagrant blend the work of a perfumer it will be the sacred anointing oil sacred set apart holy revered hallowed godly ordained pure devout virtuous i've got to pound it into us today we've got to become something that the world can identify there's got to be a fragrance of the church like nobody else god has set you apart god has anointed your life yes that is how they began but it's not how they ended they can begin with the knowledge of the almighty god but then in that way, Paul wrote about it. He said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They revered him in, at first, but as time went by, they changed the glory and they drifted and the drift has become so great that few even consider today what is sacred. And I ask today, is there any place or anything or anyone sacred today? I ask you, what's wrong with being holy? I stood in a line years ago at a restaurant. It was Sunday afternoon and service was over. We were there and a lady was behind me and she engaged in some small talk. And she asked me, well, what kind of church do you attend? And I said, I'm not even sure why I said it. I said, well, I attend a, it's a holiness church. I don't know why I said it. I, I usually just say it's a spirit-filled Pentecostal church. But for some reason, I... I just said, it's a, it's a holiness church. <laughs> I don't know. I got a whole bunch of answers. <laughs> I can say all kinds of things. Wild, it's a wild church, you know. Sometimes I say, it's a pretty good church. I don't know about that preacher, but it's a pretty good church. They don't know. Although I did say that one time and the person said, aren't you the preacher? I said, well, yeah. Okay, well, sorry, I didn't know you recognized me. <laughs> I said, it's a holiness church. To which she replied immediately, well, man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. And of course, I knew better than to point out what the Bible actually said. So I just nodded and smiled, went on my way. Mm-hmm. I wondered if she even knew that what she was referring to was the moment when the prophet Samuel saw Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. And Samuel thought he should be the king, but God wanted to use David. God was talking about the stature of a man of war compared to the lowliness of a shepherd boy. God was not addressing holiness. That verse never gave license to anyone to live unholy. 
And truth be told, every church should be a holiness church. You know why? Because God's a holy God. I want to ask you, where did the fragrance go? What about the fear of the Lord or the trembling or the reverence? you to walk by me and I mean I don't even see you but I want to say something's different about that I smell the fragrance of somebody set apart that's a sacred person right there they're living for the Lord they're loving God with all of their heart and mind soul body and strength but we're living in a world where nothing is sacred this moment of good being called evil and evil being called good has created a upside down world and it has crept into the church of the living God so that striving to be holy is considered as being judgmental and arrogant I beg to differ what's wrong with being holy is there anyone or anything still sacred how about being spiritually minded How about being spiritually minded? I'm in the book, but ye are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Oh, yes. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him that's called you out of this darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, get the oil of separation and the sacred things back in your life. You gotta have it. Oh, somebody ought to be shouting. Somebody ought to be clapping. Somebody ought to be saying, yes, Lord. I gotta have it in my heart. I gotta have it in my mind. Yay. That's right. I'm gonna be in the book. may be seated for a moment don't stay comfortable as a child an individual said I'll just leave it that as a child I remember an individual saying that some people were so spiritually minded that they were no earthly good I want to I want to know what does that mean that is a misnomer to further erode the soil the sacred soil That you are so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. What does that mean? That was a man-made philosophy born from a disconnected pulpit. I've never met anyone who was so spiritually minded that they were no earthly good. In fact, only those who are spiritually minded have anything good to offer to an unsaved, corrupt world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the preserving power of the earth. And when you and I leave this world in the rapture, everything is going to rot because the preserving power has been gone. You are the church. You are a holy, separated people. And you've got to live a sacred, holy, separated life. Oh, yes. I don't want to deviate a little too much here, but be very careful during this time. Be very careful that you don't get dry because the drier you get, the more you open up your door to spirits that you cannot, that you cannot afford in your home or in your life. You got to stay saturated with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Don't get dry. I 
feel like preaching a little bit on Sunday morning. I wish I had some apostolic, Holy Ghost filled people that say, I'm here. I've got to be sacred. I'm going to be set apart. Give me the fragrance. I've got to have the oil of anointing. Oh. I don't care what everybody says. I'm going to dance and I'm going to shout. I don't care what the world is doing. I'm a blood-bought. I'm a born-again child of the Most High God. And nobody's going to separate me. Oh! Hey! <laughs> People ought to notice you when you walk in the grocery store and you're in the aisle of the restaurants and wherever you go, they might not even recognize you. If you like, if you like most people, when you go into the places, you got a mask on. Sometimes I even put my sunglasses on too. It's wonderful. Hey, I'm telling you, if I'm driving Reagan's truck, nobody recognizes me. It's awesome. I'm seeing all kinds of church folks. They don't even wave. I'm driving that little green truck down the road. I love it. I'm so happy about it. I shouldn't have said anything because now you're going to look for it. <laughs> when I walked in the store the other day, I had my mask on. And a lady stopped me and she put me by the arm. She said, you're the pastor. I said, how'd you know? She said, I saw your hair. I said, oh, I got to get me a hat. I hope people recognize you more than just a figure of your face. I hope they say, I feel something happening when you walk by. I smell the fragrance of somebody who has power. You've been anointed. Please be seated for a moment. I'll give you 60 seconds. Someone start the stopwatch. Watch this. Governments and monies and ingenuity is not holding this world together. It's the bride. It's the holy bride called the church that's keeping the world together. You think right now we're having trouble? Mm -mm. Wait till the church leaves. There'll be no safe place to hide. I'm trying to become more spiritually minded, not less. I'm trying to fulfill the words of the Lord when he said in the Old Testament, sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord. Your God is holy. Of course, for all those people who don't read the Old Testament and you always subscribe to the New Testament, wouldn't it be great if the New Testament said something like that? You're in luck. First Peter 1. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means living. Because it is written, be ye holy. The same words in the Old Testament apply in the New Testament. And the same words that apply to the New Testament are applicable right now today. Watch. Moses was commissioned to make the oil of anointing. And it changed the typical knife and the typical blade and the typical plate into holy knives and holy plates. It changed the ordinary table into holy tables. It made the men who were commissioned holy. They might have been normal men before, the common man. But when they were called and when the anointing oil was placed on them, they became sacred men. 
You, my brother, Brother Dave, you're a holy man of God. Look at your husband. That's a holy man of God. Brother Morris, you are a holy man of God. You are a sacred vessel unto the Lord. You are holy before the Lord. Sacred because you've been anointing. There's a beautiful fragrance on you. And those men, they carried the fragrance born from the hand of that apothecary and everyone knew it. You might not recognize them by face or maybe you might not recognize, recognize them by name. The garments would have given them away, I'm sure. But you always would know them by their fragrance. The tabernacle of Moses was filled with the fragrance. Everyone who worked there was anointed with the fragrance. And the first tabernacle of Moses hosted this unique smell. And then came the, the, the temple of Solomon, Solomon's temple. And then came the second temple after that. And now comes you. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. You. Which temple you are. That's you. You've been anointed with the spirit. It is a unique spirit. It's a unique fragrance. The holy sacred people of God living in a world that's foreign to them. They are never comfortable. Never fully accepted. Never at home. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And just like Moses gave the order to make it sacred. So too Paul is giving the same order. And he said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Because God's spirit lives within you. You see, the way you treat your body is the way you're treating God's temple. That's scary. That's scary because my sister came over yesterday and made bread. Never mind. <clears throat> When you eat her bread, you might as well just take some duct tape, cut a piece of the bread off, and just tape it to your sides. Same thing. Under a shirt looks like the same thing. I'm not lying to you people. You just don't know. You have no idea because you, you think Wonder Bread is it. I pray for you. And the way, watch it, and the way you treat one another is the way you're treating God's holy temple. I'm asking this. How can you mistreat and speak ill of one another and think that you're living a righteous life? Read the book, people. And you can declare anything you want about yourself, anything you want. God knows I'm not saving the tither today. But I hope I'm saving somebody. All right. Here's the book. Here's Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I'll let you live in this place. Don't trust in deceptive words. Don't say. The, the King James says, the temple of the Lord is here. This is what they people, the people said. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Emphatically three times. This is the temple of the Lord. They're trying to convince everyone that even though there's no spirit, this is the temple of the Lord. And God came back to say, if you really change your ways, your actions, and deal with each other justly, <laughs> if you don't oppress the aliens, the fatherless, or the widow, 
and you don't shed innocent blood in this place. You don't kill anyone's reputation. You don't slay anyone because a three-inch tongue can crucify and kill a six-foot man every day of the week. <laughs> then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your fathers forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So call yourselves saved all you want. Tell yourself that you're the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord is here. I'm the temple of the Lord. But if you live unholy, then your words are deceptive. I know this may be a little tough for some people here, but let me read it. It's in your Bible. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Those who defile their temple, him shall God destroy. Hear me. We are walking, living, breathing temples of the Holy Ghost. And we are called and anointed to be set apart. And not only we, but the things we deem as use for the Lord are also to be treated with care and concern. This house is much like the tabernacle. This is the place where we gather for corporate worship. It's the place of our teaching, our preaching, and our training. I'm praying and I'm preaching and by all measures reaching for the sacred today. The sacred. I'm not trying to blend in with the world. I'm not trying to get into this world and be accepted. I'm trying to get out of this world. But I see and I hear the continual diluting of godly things and spiritual endeavors. The closer we are to the purpose of God, the less we will be accepted by the world. And I am certain that this is not just my age talking, but I'm seeing it slip away. What was concentrated has been diluted. I've heard it. The watering down of commitments. From serving to prayer, from giving to worship, there is an underlying spirit that desires to dilute the necessary and sacred things of God. So instead of seeking ways to stay pure, people make excuses for themselves about why they're not as committed as they once were. They say, well, it's work, you know, it's, a, it's life, it's business, it's too hot outside, it's too cold outside, it's, it's been a real hectic week, Pastor. Too much stress, too little time. As a well-intentioned but terribly misguided person once told me, they said, I just don't want to get wrapped up in all the church stuff. I just like to come and leave. Really? Well, I reject that thought. All I want to do is get wrapped up in church stuff. I know what they were saying. And if that means we have a few problems, so be it. I'd rather have problems here than have no problems there. I'd even rather struggle here than have it easy out there. Maybe you don't feel this way, but I would rather toil on the stormy seas of church struggles, the ups and the downs. Listen, I'm, I'm preaching this from experience, from heartaches and disappointments and pain, all of it right here, that have been smooth sailing on the waters of carnal, carefree living. You can't have it both ways. You're either carnal, saying what Jeremiah wrote down, the temple of the Lord, I'm saved, or you really are the temple of the Holy Ghost, anointed for the work of the kingdom of God. <laughs> oh... Man, there's a big indention right there. I'm about to break the table. Satan asked the question to Eve when he tempted her in the garden. He said, hath God said? Hath God said? Did God really say you cannot eat from any tree? Did God really say that everything was forbidden? The devil is so sly. 
He's planted those same foolish questions in the mouths of men and women for years who seek to hurt the kingdom of God and excuse the lack of commitment. And they ask questions, foolish questions like, do you really have to give money to be saved? Is God going to send you to hell over $10? I don't know. Why don't you do it and tell me later, find out. Do you really have to read your Bible every day? Is God counting all of that? Really? You mean... You're going to be lost forever if you don't pray and do all the things that the church... You you mean go to Bible study midweek on Wednesday? You mean volunteer? You mean teach a Sunday school class? Donate your time and resources? And one by one, the questions weaken and water down our resolve. And if you follow that path to its conclusion, all you'll have is an empty proclamation. I'm saved. The temple of the Lord is here. Words, but no power. Religion, but no fragrance. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do right now. I'm returning to the sacred. I want to walk by and smell the sweet fragrance of separation. I want to walk by someone and smell the sweet aroma of a called out life. I want you to walk by me and not even consider me the pastor, but just say, that is a man of God anointed. I want to walk by you and say, that is a man of God anointed. I want to walk by one of the ladies in the church and say, that is a lady of God. She's anointed for the purpose of God. I'm returning to the sacred. I'm after the sacred. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, by the mercies of God. I'm praying it today. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I beseech you, church, that you live holy, that your bodies are holy, that they are acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is good and acceptable and what is the perfect will of God. I'm almost through. And I'll use as much caution as I think I can. Virginity is a choice. Virginity is to remain pure, untouched, undefiled for both men and women. Young men who keep themselves pure absolutely have an authority that that some of their peers may not have because they've kept themselves. Young women who've kept themselves have a unique right. They can speak about certain things. They can carry a certain dignity because they've made a choice to protect, protect the Lord's design. And all of it constitutes their desire to present themselves to another by means of commitment. The Bible refers to it as chaste. The vow comes first. Intimacy comes second. The spiritually pure also keeps themselves unstained by the world. The spiritually pure keeps themselves unstained by the world. I hope no one's sneering at that. There is no peace like an innocent mind. Church folks are struggling with this. We've never seen this before because... Up until a handful of years ago, we didn't have access to the world through the internet. People just couldn't see anything that they wanted at any given time. And they couldn't say anything at any given time. But now because of it, everything is out there. And surely I would say that they fail to remember the scripture 
when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, for it is a shame or shameful even to mention what the disobedience, the disobedient people do in secret. Oof. That'll cut time, that'll cut your online time, your surfing time down. So if you've kept yourself spiritually pure, you've done your duty before the Lord, I commend you for it. But if you lose your passion and you're not full of the Holy Spirit, then there is no oil and no fragrance either. It's going to take a holy people who have both purity and passion to make it to heaven and to stay committed in these last days of time. Purity is keeping something out. Passion is keeping something burning within. What you keep yourself from doing helps you with a pure mind, a pure look. You don't adorn yourself with seductive attire. A pure heart, what you did not corrupt yourself with the trappings of the world. But to stay passionate means that you kept your fire burning. You kept the intensity of your walk with God. You did not relax. You did not take your ease. You did not get caught up with foolish and vain conversations. Purity and passion are so easily lost when we engage in the world or in hurts or in offenses or in grievances. Can you hear what the Spirit is talking and saying to the body today? Both purity and passion are choices made by an intentional heart and an intentional mind. Jesus spoke of it. It's an end time, last day prophetic parable. When he's talked about the ten virgins, he said, ten virgins kept themselves pure for the bridegroom's coming, but they did not know when he would come. All of them lived in similar patterns. All of them walked in similar pathways. But at the final hour, think of it, the day before the bridegroom came to call, only five of them had enough oil in their lamps to keep their fire burning. And while the oil relates to the power of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit itself, it also relates to the depth of your sacredness. All of those years of going about their duty, all of their sacrifices that they did, of doing what was right, only to lose it at the very end of time. All of those times of rejecting the enticements of the world, and the night before, half of them were not ready because they had no oil, passion less, emotion less, purpose less, no joy, no power, no praise, no spirit, no oil, no fragrance. It's going to take the doing and the not doing to be ready for the bridegroom. <sighs> Paul was not talking about the sinner. He was not addressing the sinner. He was talking to the church. And he said to the church in the, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 18, he said, For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And their destiny is the destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And watch this. Their mind is on earthly things. Verse 19. Their mind is on earthly things. Sacred. 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 My job is to keep my life sacred. I have to work on it every day. My prayer is to keep my home sacred. My prayer is that I raise four children that are set apart sacred. 
It's work every day. And the last of it all is my calling is to stand in this pulpit and preach to all the congregation hoping that someone will say I want to be anointed with that holy ointment sacred if you'll receive it today just lift up your hearts and your hands stand with me now if you'll receive it today from the Lord and say that is what I want for my life If you're listening to this at home, I want you to pause right now. I want you to pray for your own life and your own heart. I want you to pray, God, help me to be anointed with the sweet, sweet fragrance of a set-apart life. Ah. Ah. What's wrong with being holy? What's wrong with being spiritually minded? I've got to live for God. I want to live for the Lord. I want everything, my lifestyle, conversation, what I do. I've got to have it pleasing in the sight of God. I refuse to just say I'm saved, that the temple of the Lord is here. I've got to have proof of it got to have the oil I'm opening up these altars I'm opening up the hallways and the sideways and the back of the church and wherever you're standing can be an altar I'm opening up to everybody who wants to say I'm after the sacred I'm looking for the sacred I'm looking I've got to find something that's reverent I've got to learn the first lesson of God that wherever he is it's holy ground it's sacred ground uh, yes yes yes